Well, it's good for us to be here again this evening, and the Lord has been kind to allow us to um, gather together to study his word. Many uh, sisters in Christ don't have that privilege, and this is our fourth lesson in the epistle to the Colossians. And so I'm very excited this evening as we start the second portion of Paul's prayer to the church at Colossae. But let's bow in prayer and give thanks to God. Since our lesson tonight is pretty much on Thanksgiving, let's give thanks to God for just the joy we have of gathering in his name. Father, I do thank you so much for your word. I thank you that we have the joy and the privilege to study it. I thank you for the ladies that will be listening and learning. And I pray, Father, that we would reason together to understand more of the depth of the riches of this wonderful prayer that Paul prays for the church at Colossae. Father, you are a gracious God, and we thank you for our salvation. We commit our time to you, and we pray that it will be used for the furtherance of the gospel and the furtherance of your glory. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Well, the following story I'm going to tell you is true, and it is shocking. On September 8, 1860, the Lady Elgin, a crowded passenger steamer, floundered off the shore of Lake Michigan, just above Evanston, Illinois. One of the students gathered on the shore, a guy named Edward Spencer, and he was a student at Garrett Biblical Institute, and he saw a woman clinging in some wreckage far out in the breakers. He threw off his coat and swam out through the heavy waves, succeeding to get her back to the land in safety. Sixteen times during that day did young Spencer brave those fierce waves, rescuing 17 people. Then he collapsed in a delirium of exhaustion. Ed Spencer slowly recovered from the exposure and exertion of that day, but never completely. With broken health, he lived quietly, unable to enter upon his chosen life work of the ministry, but he exemplified the teachings of Jesus Christ even in his secluded life. He died in California at the age of 81, and in a death notice that was published in a local newspaper, it said this, Not one of those 17 persons that he saved from the wreckage in that water, ever came back to say thank you. Ladies, this true story illustrates a grave problem in our society, and that is unthankfulness. Now, I want to lovingly admonish you this evening that for the Christian, an attitude of unthankfulness should be often. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, We are to be thankful in everything. We are to give thanks at all times. And we know that unthankfulness is a sign that we are in the last days, which began at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the unbeliever that is unthankful, but it is not the Christian that should be unthankful. And I say all that, I illustrate all this, because as we come to our second portion of Paul's prayer this evening, it is my desire and prayer that after we get done tonight, that you will have an attitude of gratefulness. And ladies, if you don't have an attitude of gratefulness this evening, 
then I hope that Paul's prayer convicts you and that you will begin to see the need to be a thankful person. So let's read the prayer in its entirety. We started it last week, but we're going to finish it tonight. Colossians 1, 9 to 14. For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power and to all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father who has made us fit to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of the Son that he he loves, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Now, if you remember last week, we started Paul's prayer that he prayed for the church at Colossae. And if you'll remember, I brought out last week that there are seven prayer requests that Paul prays for this church. And we covered six of them last week, and we're going to cover the seventh one tonight. Let me just remind you of those first six petitions that we looked at last week. The first petition, if you will recall, Paul prayed that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will. And we saw that that knowledge is not the Gnostic knowledge. They taught that it was only for a few, but it was an epigenosis. It was a full knowledge. And Paul prayed that they would be filled with that knowledge of wisdom and spiritual understanding. And then secondly, we saw that Paul prayed that they would walk worthy of the Lord with a view to please him. And we saw last week that that really is a heading to the rest of the prayer requests. So, ladies, in other words, if you and I are walking worthy of the Lord with a view to please him in everything that we do, that we do then thirdly, what will happen? We'll be fruitful in every good work, as we saw last week. What will happen? We'll increase in the knowledge of God, as we saw last week. Fourth prayer request. What will happen? We'll be strengthened with all might. That was the fifth prayer request. And lastly, number six, we saw if we're walking with a view to please the Lord, we will be patient with long-suffering, with joy. So we come now tonight to the seventh petition, which, by the way is another way we can walk worthy of the Lord, right? We can walk worthy of the Lord with a view to please him by what? By being thankful. And so it all flows together very, very well. And this is the second part of Paul's prayer. Remember, we brought out last week, the first part of Paul's prayer are the petitions, and the last part is the praise portion. And I brought out last week, this is kind of opposite of what we're taught. I remember when I became a Christian, somebody told me, they said, Susan, you need to, you need to do the Acts method of praying. And I thought, well, what is that? Does that mean that I do, I pray like the people in Acts did? And they said, no. It's adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and then supplication. And, you know, as I thought through that, as I've grown in the Lord, I thought, you know what? That just seems very legalistic to me. Uh, Not that that's not a great method, but prayer is just talking to God, right? And so, ladies, I want to encourage you. um, Don't get caught up in a method of prayer, but do get caught up in in praying. And uh, with that in mind, let's look at the seventh petition more closely. Verse 12, giving thanks to the father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, this is the seventh petition that Paul prays. We covered the first six last week. This is the seventh. And the seventh petition is that we would give thanks 
to the Father. Because of our desire to please the Lord, because we have that dynamite power within us that is imparted to us, then ladies, we should be able to give thanks to the Father, right? We're supernaturally different. We are not like the unbeliever. We are Christians. We are daughters of the Lord. And so we should be able to give thanks. In fact, I have to tell you, as a pastor's wife now, 40, I guess 41 years, 42 years, uh, it's always been a puzzle to me when I have been around Christian people. And it just seems like their mantra is murmuring and complaining because for God's children, God's daughters, we should be thankful. We should be giving thanks to God. It's not that we don't have burdens. It's not that we don't have problems, but we should be a thankful people. Ladies, there's always something you can find, even in the midst of your trial. There's always something that you can be thankful for. Now, to be fair to the text, some think that this is actually translated, the thankfulness means joyously giving thanks to the Father and that the joy is associated with the thanksgiving, not with the patience and long-suffering that we saw last time in verse 11. And I'm not going to make a big deal about it. Um, you can take whichever view you want because both are true biblically. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time on debating with those who have done great Greek studies on this. But just to say this, Paul's desire for the church at Colossae is that they would be a thankful people. And so he prays that for them. And ladies, this is not the only time that Paul reminds them that they need to be thankful. In fact, if you'll look over at chapter 3, verse 15, that we'll get to someday, Lord willing, he says this, let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you are called and be thankful verse 17 whatever you do in word or deed do all the name of the lord jesus christ giving thanks to god and the father by him and then lastly in chapter 4 verse 2 he says continue in prayer and watch in the same with what thanksgiving and so he's going to remind them three more times in this little tiny epistle that they need to be thankful and ladies, we need to be reminded, too. Um, I know just recently I've been going through quite a bit of interesting trials. And I was just talking to the lady that does the recording. It says, you know, it just seems like when it rains, it pours and you're just flooded with trials. But yet even in that, we can find something to be thankful for. In fact, um, if you're a mom or have been a mom, what is one of the first things that you taught your child as soon as they could learn to talk? Please say please and say what? Thank you. Thank you. In fact, ladies, have you ever noticed in your own life how being thankful can change your attitude about everything? I've often told you about my mentor who has told me, Susan, it's amazing what praising can do. And so, ladies, when you find yourself maybe spiritually down or physically down or emotionally down, I want to encourage you to give thanks to the Father, to find something to be thankful for. In fact, uh, this was kind of made, uh, illustrated to me when my husband and I went out with a couple, and the man was really having a very difficult time at his job. And so I asked him, I said, how are things going at your job? And he said, you know what? Things are going really well now that I've learned to be thankful. And he went on to tell my husband and I, he said, you know, I realized at work, he said, I was murmuring, I was complaining, I was discontent. And he said, I finally started seeing that that was a real affront to God. 
And he said, I confess my sin. I repented of it. And he said, now all is well. And I love my job. And uh, my husband and I, you know, as a pastor and wife, we went away very encouraged that one of our parishioners had changed his attitude at work. He started being thankful And now his job was going well just because his attitude had changed. Not necessarily that the job had changed, but his attitude had changed. And so, lady, Paul prays for the Colossian believers to be thankful. And my friend, I think it would be wise for us to pray that for ourselves and for others, that we would be thankful. Now, maybe you're sitting here tonight and you're saying, Susan, I don't have anything to be thankful for. I mean, you're not walking in my shoes. You have no idea what my life is like, and no, I don't. And I just don't have anything to be thankful for. Why should I give thanks to the Father? Well, there are five reasons why Paul tells us we are to be a thankful people. And this is the praise portion of Paul's prayer for the church at Colossae. So, ladies, if you have nothing to be thankful for tonight, Paul's going to give you five things to be thankful for. Notice, the first reason we are to be thankful and give praise to God is because he's qualified us to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, you might say, well, what does this mean? Well, the word qualify means to make fit, to make us qualified. And the idea has the idea is that God gives us the ability, the sufficiency to accomplish that, this. And ladies, notice, it is God who has made us fit to be qualified. It is not you. It is not of your own works. The only reason that you are fit to be qualified, to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in light, is because God has made it happen. You have had nothing to do with it. In fact, the word fit or qualified is in the present tense, which means, do you know right now, Right this very moment, you are a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in light. Right this minute, right this minute, you have already been transferred from light, from darkness into light. In fact, Paul's going to admonish them later on to live in that light. Colossians 3 is going to say this. If you've been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, or Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on this earth. Why? For you are dead. And your life is hidden with Christ and God. You're already there, ladies. You're already a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in light. In fact, Apostle also says the same thing in the sister epistle of Ephesians in verse 219. He says, now, therefore, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but you're fellow citizens with the saints. You're members of the household of God. Well, Paul says we're qualified to be partakers of the inheritance. You might go, what is this? Well, the word for inheritance means the portion of the lot. And it has the idea that every one of us who are daughters of the king, we all get a portion. We all get a portion of that inheritance. We have a lot. In fact, when the Colossian believers heard this being read, you know what they would think of? They would think of the book of Joshua. Remember when Joshua conquered the promised land and they all went in? You know what they got? They all got a portion of the inheritance. Listen to Joshua 14 too. Their inheritance was by lot as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. And so just as in the Old Testament when they conquered the promised land and the Israelites got a portion of the lot, so it is for the Colossian believers. We all have a portion of the inheritance. The Colossian believers do. You and I do. 
In fact, Jesus reminds us of this blessed truth um, in the upper room discourse when he's sitting there with his disciples for the last few moments he has with them. In John 14, he says to them, do not let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And when I go and prepare a place for you, what? I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you will be also. Now, evidently, ladies, every one of us has a portion of the lot. We have our own place. We have our own mansion. We have, and God's preparing it for us. Now, you might say, well, what does it consist of? I mean, what's my inheritance consist of? Well, Paul says in Ephesians 1, 3, it includes all spiritual blessings. He says this, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So I don't know what your lot's going to look like. I don't know what's there. He's preparing a particular place for each one of us. In fact, uh, your guess is as good as mine, but Paul does tell us in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, eye has not seen nor ear has heard what God has prepared for us, for those who love him. So ladies, I don't know. I know our father loves us. I know he's preparing a place for us. And I know each one of us is going to have, you know, whatever it is he thinks. And eye is not seen, ear is not heard. What well, God's prepared for us. I have no idea. Uh, my husband has often said the first response when we get to heaven is going to be laughter because we're going to wonder what in the world did we hold on to this for? When we have a place prepared for us in heaven, we have a portion of the inheritance. And ladies, I want to remind you this evening, this inheritance is a gift. It is a gift. Just like your salvation was a gift. There's nothing you can do to earn it. But it is a gift that has been given to you from a loving father. Now, ladies, if you came in here tonight murmuring and complaining, is that not a reason for you to be thankful? Can you not give thanks to God for your inheritance in the saints of light? In fact, Paul says we're going to share this inheritance with the saints of light. This is a very common word, saints. Paul uses this 40 times in his epistles, and it always refers to those who are redeemed. Saints in light, light would be their character. Uh, it resembles purity. It resembles truth. Um, light is often a picture of those who are uh, walking in contrast to those who are walking in darkness. And I don't know about you, but as I looked at this prayer, I, for one, am very, very thankful that when I get to heaven, that I'm going to share a portion of my inheritance with the saints that are walking in light. Because I don't know about you, I've had all the darkness I care for. And uh, so I'm glad that nothing corrupt is going to enter into heaven. And when I get up there, uh, I'm not going to be sharing it with people that are walking in darkness. Ladies, this inheritance is already ours. Um, we already possess it, even though the full possession will be in eternity. I was thinking about this in relation to human terms. Um, some of you may already know that you're in your parents' will and that you are going to receive uh, some type of inheritance. And so the inheritance is yours right now. But guess what? Uh, you're not going to get it until your parent dies and then you're going to get all the inheritance. Right. So it's kind of the same idea. Now, the second reason that we are to give thanks is found in verse 13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. This is the second point of Paul's praise to the church at Colossae. They have been delivered from the power of darkness. Now, what does that mean? 
Well, delivered means to draw out of danger, uh, to draw out of the danger that you're in and to liberate you. Ladies, do you know that God rescued you while you were in darkness, while you were living in wretchedness? In fact, Paul writes of this power of darkness in Titus 3, 3. He says, we ourselves also were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and envies, living in malice, hateful and hating one another. Ladies, that's what we were like before Christ. We were living in darkness. In fact, the word darkness here is the Greek word skadia, and it refers to Satan, his angels, and all the junk, the consequences of that sin, disobedience, rebellion, ignorance, blindness, hatred, strife, gloom, anything you can think of. That's what we were. We were living in darkness. But lady, we, ladies, we have been delivered from that darkness. Now, when God rescued you out of that darkness, that junk you were living in, you know what? He just didn't deliver you out of darkness and just put you out in the open air. He did something. You know what he did? He transferred you. He took you out of that darkness. He transferred you over into the kingdom of the son that he loves. And ladies, that is the third reason that we should give praise to God. He has not only rescued us from darkness, but he has delivered us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. He's put us somewhere else. Again, the Colossian believers, they're listening to this. You know what they would think of? They would think about the Old Testament because you know what would happen in the Old Testament? When a king would come and conquer a certain territory, a certain land, he would take that whole group of people and he would pull them out like of Assyria or something, pull them out of there and place them into another land. Second Kings 1529 mentions this. Second Kings 176 uh, mentions this. Uh, in fact, in that passage, it talks about uh, bringing people out of the land of Naphtali and Naphtali and carrying them captive to Assyria. We see some of this now with the immigrants. Some of them are fleeing Syria and they're, they're going out of one land into another land. And so this would be uh, something that we probably wouldn't understand, but the biblical world would understand this as when a king would go in and conquer a certain territory they would take that whole group of people and transfer them into another land and that's what God's done for us we were once in darkness he's delivered us out of that darkness and he's carried us completely over into the kingdom of the son that he loves in fact I was trying to think of a you know, a 21st century illustration. And the closest I could come up with, which is actually pretty silly, is because uh, I do this sometimes. You know, you transfer money from one account to another. So you transfer money that was in your savings account and you transfer from that account to your checking account. Or maybe you transfer money from a checking account into a savings account. So you completely move it from one account to another. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's transferred you from darkness to light. Ladies, the Colossian believers, just like us, they'd been lifted out of the realm of darkness, which was their depraved state before salvation, and carried them into the kingdom of the Son that He loves. And again, we've talked about this before. Paul mentions this in the sister epistle, Ephesians. Remember, Ephesians and Colossians are very, very similar. But he says this in Ephesians 2 1 to 6. He says this, And you, you, 
He made alive. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desire of the flesh in our mind. And we were by nature children of wrath just as others. But God, don't you love that? But God, who is rich in mercy, Because of his love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, he made us alive together with Christ for by grace, you've been saved. He's raised you up together, made you sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ladies, if you cannot praise God for that, something is wrong with you. You need to go get a checkup because your mind is, you need some, you're mentally challenged. If you cannot thank God for that. In fact, the songwriter put it well. We don't sing these songs anymore. I wish we did. But when I was a little girl growing up in a Baptist minister's home, I remember singing this song often. And uh, we need to remember these, these words so rich. The songwriter puts it well. Out of my bondage, sorrow, and night, Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come. Into your freedom, gladness, and light. Jesus, I come to you out of my sickness into your health, out of my want into your wealth, out of my sin into yourself. Jesus, I come to you out of the fear and dread of the tomb. Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come into the joy and light of your home. Jesus, I come to you out of the depths of ruin untold into the peace of your sheltering fold. Ever your glorious face to behold, Jesus, I come to you. Well, after we've been delivered from the power of darkness and carried into the kingdom of the son of his love, which, by the way, is a royal kingdom, then something else happens. Now, the question might come to mind when Paul is talking about the kingdom and the saints in light. Is this inheritance present or is it future? And again, it's the same thing as we mentioned before. We have been translated from darkness to light. We already have it, but the full realm of it will not be known until we go to glory. Ladies, we have been completely delivered from darkness and we have a complete inheritance into with the saints of light. In fact, it's interesting. The Apostle Paul um you know, he wrote the letter to the Colossians. And do you know that he recounts this amazing transformation that happened to him? In Acts 26, he is giving a defense before King Agrippa. And I love what he says. He's telling King Agrippa what had happened. And he said, we all fell to the ground. I heard a voice speaking to me in the Hebrew tongue saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? Israel's rise, stand on your feet. And, you know, he's given him this amazing conversion on the Damascus road. And then he tells him how he's going to use him. He says, I've appeared to you for this purpose to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and the things which I will yet reveal to you. I'm going to deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles and who I now send them to you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light from the power of Satan to God, that they might receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And so Paul's standing before King Agrippa. He's telling the dramatic story of how he was transferred from darkness to light. And then he tells him the vision that God gave to him. Not only have you been transferred from darkness to light, Paul, but you know what? I'm sending you out 
to go and to give the gospel to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. And ladies, I will share with you, that is a wonderful, powerful verse to pray for those that you know uh, in your life, whether it's family or friends that are still in darkness. Pray, Acts 26, 18. Lord, open their eyes. Turn them from darkness to light. Turn them from the power of Satan to God that they might receive forgiveness of sins. And that inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in you. Great verse to pray for those that are still wandering in darkness. Well, the fourth and fifth praises that Paul gives in his prayer for the church at Colossae are found in verse 14. Let's read it together. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So, ladies, the fourth part of Paul's praise in this prayer is that we have redemption through his blood. Now, did you notice something? Did you read that verse carefully? Did you notice that Paul shifted the pronoun in his prayer from you, you'd got this, you got this, you got this, to now what? We, we, in whom we have redemption. So he changed it from a singular pronoun to a plural. Why? Ladies, I believe this. I believe Paul never got over the fact that he had redemption through the blood of Christ. And yet Paul felt unworthy that God in his mercy delivered him from darkness, translated him into the kingdom of the son of he, that he loves. You might say, well, Susan, how do you know that? Well, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus in 1 Timothy 1 and tells them about this. He says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who's counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy. I was a murderer. I was a blasphemer. And yet I obtained mercy. In fact, after he says that, he breaks out into doxology. You know, he says, now to the king, eternally immortal, invisible, God, only wise, be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. I mean, he just breaks out in this doxology. I'm so overcome with the fact that God would save a wretch like me that I break out in a doxology of praise. He never got over the fact that he was redeemed by the blood of the lamb. And Paul wanted and prayed for the church at Colossae that they would never get over the fact that they had been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Ladies, have you gotten over the fact that you have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus? Maybe you should pray that you never get over the fact that you've been redeemed by Jesus's blood. In fact, the past, the past few months has been a sobering reminder to me of the wonderful grace of Jesus as just a few months ago, my oldest brother died and went to a Christless eternity. He has never been redeemed by the blood of Christ. And yet I have. That is something to give thanks for, is it not? Now, you might say, well, Susan, what is redemption? What does it mean I've been redeemed? Well, the word redemption means to deliver by payment of a ransom. And the church at Colossae would understand this because in the biblical world, if a slave was set free, they had to be set free by a ransom. They would pay money. They would pay a gold or silver to set this slave free from his bondage. And so this is what the Colossians would think of when Paul says you've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Only 
the Colossian believers and you and I weren't redeemed by money, right? There's no type of money that could buy our redemption. We were redeemed by Christ's death. Listen to Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being what? Made a curse for us. What have we been bought with? What was the price that was paid for us? If it wasn't money, then what were we bought with? Well, the price was very high, my friend. Peter puts it well in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, knowing this, you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your vain manner of life, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Ladies, the price for your redemption was not money. It wasn't silver. It wasn't gold. It was the precious blood of of Christ that you have been redeemed well through Christ's payment of a ransom with his own blood we have obtained forgiveness of sins and ladies this is the fifth reason that Paul prays for the Colossian believers to give thanks and praise to God we have forgiveness of sins now what does this mean well forgiveness in the Greek means to release from bondage or imprisonment it also means to send away to send away, to depart. And what it speaks of here is Christ paying the penalty for our sin at Calvary, putting away our sins and sending them away. In fact, in the Old Testament, you realize uh, if you did your homework, how this was done. Remember what they would do? The priest would come and he would confess all the sins of the people and put them on the, the goat of a head or the head of a goat. Sorry. And he would send that goat out into the wilderness and it symbolized something because that goat didn't come back. That goat ran away and that goat was never to be seen again. He has removed our sins. In fact, the psalmist puts it well as far as the east is from the west which is a far way because you can't ever go, you can't ever do it. North and south is different. East and west, you just keep going, keep going. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Paul also writes in Hebrews eight twelve, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and iniquities. I will remember no more. Ladies, he sent our sins away. He's removed us from the bondage of our sin. And not only that, he sent them away. Never to remember them anymore. Ladies, your sins have been released. The Colossians believers, their sins have been released. My sins have been released. My friend, if you cannot praise and thank God for that in your prayers, then something is amiss. Something is wrong. Now, maybe some of you don't realize the depth of the darkness that you were once in, and so maybe you need to be reminded of what sin is. The definition for sin is not just the Ten Commandments. Some people say, well, it's just the Ten Commandments. No, it's not. You know what sin is? Sin is anything that is offensive to God. Anything that is an offense to him. And often the Greek word for sin also has an emphasis on guilt. And so this definition not only includes our actions and our words, but this would even be our thoughts, those things that nobody sees but God. And ladies, if you think about it, if you and I only committed three sins a day, I wish, I mean, you know, I'm sure I've committed more than three sins already today, but let's say, you know, I have a good day and I've only committed three sins a day. 
Do you know in a year's time I would have committed 1,095 sins? That's a lot. Now, if I live to be 70, which I might, might not, who knows, but if I live to be 70 years of age, do you know I will have committed 76,650 sins? And that's only three sins a day. That's a good day. Now, that's kind of a big burden to carry around, right? 76,000 sins. But you know what? For those of us who have been granted forgiveness, we don't have to carry those sins around. Isn't that great? All the guilt that the unbeliever carries, all the offending of God, we don't have to carry that around. Ladies, should we not give thanks for the fact that our sins have been released? They've been taken away. All the power, all the guilt, all the infectious results of our sin has been forgiven. Every sin of every kind has been sent away, just like that goat that the priest sent away and Israel never saw it again. Now, ladies, if that's not a reason for you to be thankful, I don't know what to tell you tonight. I mean, you need to go, you need to go leave here tonight, go home and repent of your sins uh, that you don't have a thankful spirit because I don't know what else I can share with you but what Paul has shared in order for you to be a thankful person. Not only have you got forgiveness of sins, you have redemption through his blood. You have an inheritance in the saints with the saints in light. You've been delivered from darkness and you've been translated into the kingdom of the son that God loves. How can you not give praise and thanks for that? Well, I opened our time up with a true and shocking story about Edward Spencer, who saved 17 lives in a wreckage and nobody said thank you. But I also want to end our time tonight with also another true and shocking story. Centuries ago, there was a man named Jesus. He went to a certain village and met 10 men that stood far away from him and they were lepers. They asked Jesus for mercy and for cleansing for their leprosy, and he gave it to all ten of them. They were all healed. He sent them to the priests so they could be inspected, and only one turned around, came back, fell on his face, and gave thanks to God. Jesus was a little surprised, and he said, Were there not ten that were cleansed? Where are the other nine? This same Jesus, a few years later, gave his life on a cross to save mankind from death and sin. Have you come back to thank him for your salvation? Maybe for you, it's not an issue of being thankful, but maybe for you tonight is an issue of salvation. Maybe you do not know the joy of having your sins forgiven. Maybe you do not know the joy of being freed from the bondage of your sin. In fact, I think it's interesting. Sin is often referred to like leprosy because both need complete cleansing in order to be healed. My friend, if that is your need tonight, do not put it off. You do not know when your life on earth will end. Just like my brother did not know that March 17th, would be his last day to be alive. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time of salvation. Now, for those of you who have been translated from darkness to light, are you thankful? Have you thanked God lately that you are a partaker in the mansion he's building for you, along with the others who've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? 
Have you shown your gratitude to him that you've been delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of the son that he loves? How are you showing your gratitude? Ladies, we should praise God for the redemption we have because of the blood of Christ. And we should constantly say thank you for the fact that every one of our ugly, awful transgressions has been forgiven. Will you, by God's grace, with me, endeavor to cultivate a spirit of thankfulness and thus show that you are indeed walking worthy? I want to bow in prayer and for our closing prayer tonight, just pray a chorus, another one of those great songs I grew up with. Just pray this chorus as our closing prayer together. And this will give you an opportunity to say thank you to the Lord if you will agree with me in prayer as we close. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation so rich and free. Amen.